I was a 50 miler and I got to the aid station, the 41 mile aid station. And I was eight my I was eight minutes off the cutoff. I mean, I had, I had, and, and I joked, you know, the younger me would check race websites and see what the course records are. The old, the, the now me checks race websites <laughs> to see what the cutoffs are. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. And, and I do it because I enjoy it. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey there, my friends. Welcome to this week's episode, episode number 82 of the Run the Riot podcast. Now, I know I'm a little bit late getting this one out. Uh, It has been crazy. I've been training like a madman and life is just busy, but better late than never, right? (laughs) And I got a very, very special one for you today. Uh, Many of you know him by AJW, uh, Andy Jones Wilkins. Man, he's been a big part of our ultra running community for quite some time. The dude has, uh, he's finished uh, Western States 10 times, top 10 four times, I believe. Uh, He's done some amazing things. He's won Vermont 100 uh, multiple times. And uh, man, he's now living in Arkansas, and I have enjoyed visiting with him and getting to know him. I love his attitude. I love what he brings to our sport. And I love that he doesn't mind sharing what he thinks about some things because he's been around. He's got some wisdom. And so, man, I just I just really enjoyed visiting with him. And I know you'll enjoy hearing his insight into our awesome sport. And, uh, and we laugh about, you know, getting older and still competing and doing the things that we do. So before we get started with Mr. AJW, we've got a got a thank our sponsors man first of all exoskin I mean, you've heard me talk about Exoskin before, even on the podcast that I, when I had Scott Coomer on, and I talked about how amazing uh, the shorts were, how I ran 100 miles in them, and they didn't stink. You know, amazing, amazing technology. Great. I love the people there. I love um, that they include uh, their ambassadors and people uh, to try their, their products out, um, and, and, and they listen to our opinions on it. Just a great company. Um, Exoskin is seamless athletic apparel, 100% made in the USA using their patented rapid dry copper materials. I want to tell you, I ran uh, six hours on Friday, five hours on Saturday in mud, in in wetness, and I wore the exo toes. I love those things. And my feet were, were pretty much wet, The you know, in the mud, in the muck the whole time, but wearing those exo toes, man, my feet were happy. No, no issues at all with my feet wearing those things through that muck, through the mud. So I, I, I believe in the product. Um, I believe in their stuff. Exoskin apparel keeps you comfortable in any conditions, reduces the risks of chafing, blisters, and hot spots, and I can attest to that. Uh, man, they make a full range of apparel, including the, the socks, the toe socks, and the traditional socks, the compression arm and leg sleeves. I love the compression calf sleeves. Uh, I wear them whenever I have my long runs. Love those things. The shorts, the tights, the shirts, all the things. All right. Um, And they just launched a liner short 
underwear that's getting really good reviews that I plan on trying out real soon. Has a two-way stretch XO waistband that's never been done before in seamless apparel. And uh, this waistband will also be in their new version of their mid-compression shorts, which uh, I believe just came out or will be coming out soon. So you need to try out Exoskins. And if you go and you try it out, uh, go to their website, exoskin.us, www.exoskin.us, and use the code RUNTHERIOT, R-U-N-T-H-E-R-I-O-T, and you get 20% off, a whole 20% off by using the code RUNTHERIOT. All right, and every product is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Wear it for 30 days. If you're not totally happy with the product, they'll give you a full refund. So, I mean, look, try it out. Put it on, wear it out on your runs, and if you don't like it, if it doesn't work for you, you can send it back. So um, you, you got to give it a try. Go to www.exoskin.us. Use the code Run the Riot. And we're also brought to you by Runners World Tulsa. www.runnersworldtulsa.com. Uh, man, a great local ultra running store, uh, running store, but I mean, their, their people have run ultras and, and run roads. They have experience. They know what they're selling and they can help you find out what works for you, whether it be shoes, whether it be packs, uh, nutrition, um, great group of people. I, 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 I know them. I respect them. I respect the things that they've done. And uh, man, they're they're super helpful. So you come in through Tulsa, even if you're not from the area, make your plans to stop by Runner's World Tulsa uh, and pick up what you need. Or you can go to www.runnersworldtulsa.com and check it out from their website. And last for this portion, we want to uh, thank Outlaw 100, the Outlaw Race Series, man. Uh, check out their races. Uh, I just got to do uh, the Flat Rock uh, race recently. Uh, and it's a Flat Rock Triple Crown in Independence, Kansas. Uh, there are races in January, April, and September. There's the Lake McMurtry Run in Stillwater in April. The Flower Moon in Pawhuska in May. I-, I missed it. I was supposed to be there, and I couldn't be there. Life got crazy, and I, I wanted to be there to hang out and visit with some of you, but I-, I couldn't make it. Sorry about that, guys. But there's also the Dark and Dirty in Wilburton in July. The Thunderbird in Norman in November. I plan on being there. That's a fun race. And the Outlaw 100, the flagship race um, coming in February. It's uh, There's a 135. Oh, yeah, that's 135 miles, 100 miles, 50 mile, 26.2, 13.1, and 5K. Look. All these races are great. Um, uh, Jeremy and Alicia, the race directors, they, they do a great job of putting these races on. It's a good feel, family atmosphere. Uh, man, I know you getting into racing again, man. Check these races out. Go to www.outlaw100.com and look at them, and uh, you won't be disappointed running their races. Um, and before we get started, I just want to thank all of you who have rated the podcast uh, on on iTunes or otherwise. Man, if, if, if you haven't, I just want to encourage you to do that. It helps us out a lot. You go in and if you really enjoy the podcast, give us a five-star rating and just put in a few words of what you like about the podcast. And while other people are trying to find what we do here and on the run the riot podcast they'll be able to read your comments and say hey that's what that's what i need you know and uh i also want to thank our patreon supporters man you guys rock uh i love that you guys just just find value in the podcast and you you know whether you throw in 10 bucks a month or two bucks a month uh it all adds up and it all helps keep the lights on for the run the riot podcast and man i just appreciate it um i think that's it guys man Let's get started with a fun podcast with AJW. 
today on the Run the Riot podcast, real excited to to visit with a man who's uh, his ultra sign up is long, and <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about some of this. Uh, a recent uh, move to our area, I guess. I'm in Oklahoma. He's now in Arkansas. AJW, welcome to the podcast. Oh man, David, it's great to be on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's it's a rainy day out here. Uh, you guys are probably getting a lot of the same out there, huh? Yep. Yeah. It seems like it's been a really wet spring, but, uh, you know, hope springs eternal summer will be here before we know it. Yeah, man, it's going to be hot. And, yeah. uh, so, so is this, will this be your first, uh, summer since you've moved to, uh, no, this will be oh. my third. We moved, okay. we moved here in 2019. Oh, I didn't realize that, okay. that was a pretty, that was a pretty bad summer. Last summer was even worse. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so uh, let me tell you how how I how I uh, discovered you. So, um, you were ages a whistle <laughs> on on Jam Jam's uh, uh, out, you know Mountain Out Outhouse, not Mountain Outhouse news. Yeah, and so I was like, who's this ages a whistle guy doing the stuff on the Beast Coast? And I looked you up, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was funny. Jamil Jamil asked Jamil was looking for something else to do to add some things to the uh, show, I think after a year. And he's like, Andy, would you be willing to be like a East coast correspondent? And I said, well, I can't just be a regular East coast correspondent. I'm going to have to be a, at first I was the jizz from the East coast, <laughs> nice. but then people were like, that's a little over the top. So, uh, <laughs> So I, 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 now I'm a jizzle whistle from the beast coast. So. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, uh, is he going to continue it now from, you know, that you've moved man, you can give a report of what's going on in Arkansas or whatever. I, I don't, I don't think he cares as long as I, as long as I send him in a video every month or so, he's happy. <laughs> nice, nice. No, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so how, how you like in Arkansas, man, compared to compared to out there on the East coast? Well, I mean, I've lived in Virginia. I lived out in the West, you know, it's, it's, I, I tell you, what the ultra running scene here is great and the fact that there's i mean i I think since moving here two years ago i've done ultras in alabama and oklahoma and kentucky in tennessee you know obviously in arkansas you know we've got one of the more established uh groups with the arkansas ultra running association that do uh, the Washita 50, which was just a last month that I ran. And then of course, Arkansas traveler, which is one of the older hundred milers in the country. So, you know, with Chrissy and Stan Ferguson and uh, you know, Paul Turner and a lot of old timers around here, it's a, it's a great culture. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's ultra running in its purest. There's some rocks, there's some gnarly trails, there's some smooth stuff, there's some gravel roads there's people who've been doing it for a long time. And then there's people who have come into it, you know, last month or last year. So, uh, and, and Arkansas was able to get out of COVID uh, pretty well, um, mm-hmm. at least returning to racing, returning to trail racing. So many of the races are really remote uh, that uh, I would say by, uh, I want to say late fall of 2020, you started seeing races back up and, and the spring has almost been a normal season. Yeah, yeah, I know when I did uh, love it out there, it was um I mean there were precautions but it was it was good. I mean it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to where it was distracting or or where it hurt the race and uh uh 
had a blast. It was, it was yeah, good com- to be racing, man. Yeah, com- com- completely agree. I did three days of Silamo, which is in March. And I mean, we, there were precautions, but mm-hmm. it, it felt normal. Uh, people were able to hang out after the race and, you know, after each day and do, do what they usually do. So it's been nice. Yeah. I, I, I always love when I get to, to race in Arkansas, I've done traveler and, and, uh, and um, full moon and, and a lot of those. And I, I got to, I saw you, uh, I was, I was running with cliff at uh Washita 50. And uh, so uh, that was me pacing him when we crossed you out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Cliff was uh, going to the bathroom and you guys were like an hour and a half ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about all that. I, I wasn't going to bring that up, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, w- I was fresh because I just met him at the turnaround. So I was, I was having fun. <laughs> I, I love I love that race, man. That, that's got a little bit of everything. Great one. That Great was- one to put on. And it's one of the oldest. I mean, it's 30 years old. It's one of the oldest uh, ultras in this region. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first time, uh, being out there and uh, I plan on doing it if I could put it on the schedule. Cause I had a, I told Cliff, I was like, man, I'm like, this is fun, man. There's it's a, a great race. Yeah. Great a lot race. of different yeah. parts of trail and stuff, man. Well, well let's, let's start off. Let's get to know you a little bit, man. Cause I, I know, I know I, I have papers here of, of, of your, your racing and stuff. So I, we definitely got to talk about that, but, but, uh, I didn't realize until recently that, that, I mean, you and I both, I'm, I'm at a, I'm at my office right now. I, I work at a school. I'm the IT director, but you're, you're, you're an education man. Yeah. I'm an, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a private school, uh, headmaster, head okay. of school. And I've, uh, I've done that. I've been doing that now for about 12 years in a couple of different schools. I, but I started in education right out of college, uh, as a 21 year old in Philadelphia. So I've been doing it 30 years. Wow. 31 years. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's nice. You get summers, summers to travel and run. And, you know, I, I ran my first ultra maybe when I was 24 in 1992, a road ultra. And then I ran my first hundred miler in 2000. So I've been running hundreds for 20, you know, 20 plus years. And, uh, it's, it's my favorite distance and it's just something that I love, but, uh, but yeah, being a teach, being a teacher first and foremost, and be, believing in the value of education, I think, I think running and what it does for a person has a lot to offer someone who's also in education because there's lots of lessons to be learned, even if you're an old curmudgeon like me. <laughs> do uh, do your uh, did your students ever get tired? Of, I, I I teach it, not here at the school, but in another capacity, and uh, you know. I just got to bring it out. It's like when I'm running, you know, bring it out in lessons. Do they get tired of hearing about it? <laughs> they, they do. They, they, yeah. I mean, I try to, I try to keep it below the radar, but the, yeah. the problem, the, the problem is the internet, you know? And so kids, kids can look up videos of me, you know, vomiting <laughs> on at mile 80 of the Western States course. And, on YouTube. And you, I mean, you're screwed at that point, right? I mean, what, what else are you going to say? They'd be like, did you see this video of Mr. JW? So, I mean, you, I, I, at that point you just have to embrace it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No kidding. No kidding. Well, so, so what got you, I mean, because back in, back in, in, uh, when you started running hundreds, uh, it wasn't a huge thing. So what, what got you interested in, in doing that? Did you run in, in, in school and in college? No, no. I, excellent. I, I was a team sport guy, basketball, soccer, lacrosse. 
Uh, but when I started working, I met my wife, Shelly, and she was, a, she had, she was a swimmer. She's still my wife, 30 going on 30 years. Nice. That's awesome. She was a, a long distance swimmer, uh, division three, what, you know, decorated athlete. And she was the swim coach at the school where I was the teacher. And she told me that she was going to ride her bicycle across the United States in the summer of 1990. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, I, you know, we fell in love and by Thanksgiving, I bought a bike and by, you know, June, I, I was riding my bicycle that I'd never really ridden a bicycle before across the United States with this girl that I was falling in love with, you know, and I was 22 years old. So then I started, then we rode across the country, the other direction. We rode from <laughs> Bend, Oregon to Alaska. What? We ended up quitting. We ended up quitting our jobs in 1994 and spent two years riding our bicycles around the world, actually. Uh, and then I said, well, how am I going to stay in shape for biking in the off season? And I started running uh, and I got the bug like a lot of new runners did. And I wanted to get a Boston qualifier. Mm. So I got a Boston qualifier. I actually ran my one and only Boston. Mar I'm a I'm a Boston guy. My parents live in Massachusetts. I'm a huge Red Sox fan. OK, so uh, I ran my one and only Boston Marathon in 1996, which was the 100th Boston Marathon. Nice. Uh, where they added, they let like 30,000 people in or something. I can't remember what it was, but uh, that's how I got into running. And then uh, when we finished this world trip, uh, we had no, we were obviously, we, we rode our bicycles until we ran out of money. And then once we ran out of money, we came home and we said, well, we have to get jobs. <laughs> and we, both of us had to work. We were both in education and we ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, at a at a small private school in in uh, Paradise Valley, Arizona, the, and uh, and I discovered the trails there, and and there was a really good hardcore group of old guys who ran the trails in Phoenix uh, long before you know there were things like the Coca Dona two fifty. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. it was just like go out there with your cotton t shirt and a handheld bottle. <laughs> And I just fell in love with it. And the longer, the longer I ran, the better I did. I also then, because I was in Phoenix, I got to know the Southern California guys as well. And so decided ultimately to do my first hundred miler at Angeles Crest 100, you know, outside LA, had a really good race there. And at that point was hooked on hundred milers, ran Western States in 2001 and kind of the, the rest is history. So uh, that really got the bug. And, and even since then, I've moved around, you know, the Bay Area, Idaho, Virginia, and now Arkansas. But uh, running long distance has just been, you know, kind of not only what I do, but who I am. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's amazing. I mean, the sport is, is, is growing quite, you know, I mean, it's growing right now. I mean, it's, it's huge. But, um, you know, back, you know, when you started, like, I didn't, I mean, I was, I was, I didn't start running until, um, you know, 2000 and our age, our age difference isn't that huge. I mean, we're, we're, you're, I think you're just a, just got a few years on me, not, not a whole lot, but I didn't know, I didn't even know about hundred milers when I started running marathons in 2010. And so, um, I, I'm envious that you've got, I wish I would have discovered the trails and ultra running, you know, back early on to think of the things I, I could have done, you know, but back then, I mean, you, you, you had to look for races to do. I mean, there weren't, you know, they weren't all over the place like now, you know, now you can fill up your calendar quick. Oh no, absolutely. Yeah. We, well, I had to, 
I mean, the years I, now, now when I moved to, when I moved to Oakland, California, uh, the, the Bay Area was and still is kind of an epicenter of all. You could run an ultra every weekend really? in, in the Bay Area in 2005, no doubt. And yeah. So, you know, when I moved when I moved there in 2001 and discovered the Western States course and got to know the, the ultra running community there, which included, you know, people like John Medinger and Ann Trayson and Carl Anderson and, you know, Kevin Sawchuk and then like a who's who of Tim Tweetmeyer, Craig Thornley, you know, kind of a who's who of the ultra running royalty back then. I just, you know, I just learned from them and, and, and they basically said, well, this is what, you, these are the races you have to do you know, way too cool, American River, Miwok, Western States. And so I, I just did that. And I mean, when I first got into Western States, you, you kind of had like a 50% chance of getting in from the lottery. <laughs> but then by 2004, I was able to get in because of a good race at Angeles Crest. Yeah, They would still give, you know, there was no there was no golden tickets or anything like that. So they would kind of scour the results and see where the strong runners were. And so then in 2004, when I ran it and I got eighth place um, and that was an interesting year because it was the year Scott Jurek set what was then the course record. Nice. And Dave Mackey ran his first uh, Western States and was like really close to him. Um, and I got eighth place. I felt really good. Um, so then the next year I got second place and it was like, I could be good at this sport. And, uh, and, the, and it kind of took off at that point. So yes, it was, you know, I happened to be living in the play in a place where, you know, there was a lot of energy around ultra running. You could always find someone to train with. You could always find someone to get information from. You could always find out where the, where the trails, the cool trails were. And, uh, and, and, that kind of led me into where I am even today. That's awesome. Speaking of Dave, uh, Dave Mackey, uh, I got to, to visit with him. And I, when I, I ran uh, Western States once and I got to share some miles with him, you know, running with his, his prosthetic uh, leg and a uh, good guy, man. Good guy. Oh man. Fantastic guy. What, what year did you do it? That must've been 2019. The last time. A, they a, did 18, it? 18, 18. Yep, yeah. 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 And he ended up having to drop real late. It just had, it was just too much on him. Yeah. yeah. He was, and he looked good when we, you know, we were together. Yeah. He, in yeah. fact, uh, there's this one, one spot, I forgot exactly where it is on the road. And I bit, man, I wiped out hard. <laughs> and he, he, he was ahead of me and uh, he looked back to see if I was okay. And I was like, I'm not gonna go, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I was disappointed to hear that, that he had to, he had to, to drop. But uh, so let's talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about Western States, man, because yeah. you, you've got a history in, in, in Western States. You've done it. What did I count nine times? Is that right? No, 10, 10. Yeah. Okay. 10 times. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Gotcha. I, I, I must've miscounted. I got pages here. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. Well, um, so man, it has, it, it, it's grown. What is your favorite thing about Western States? I have my little measly, I got in once. And so I have my, you know, that experience. What is your favorite thing about that race? What, what gets you to keep going back? Well, well, okay. I should say, first of all, I, Craig, Craig Thornley is a good friend of mine. And after I finished my 10th in 2014, he basically told me, you know, don't, don't plan on ever running this race again, <laughs> you know? And I was like, I, you're right. You're right. I've had my, I've had my 10 times, yeah. you know, I've, I've had my 10 times and, and, and I, and I volunteer there every year and I'll nice. continue to volunteer there, you know, until I, until I die. So yeah. I love, you know, 
I'll tell you what I, I mean, I'll tell you what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I learned this, you know, over the 10 years, because, because my, my career there was kind of in three parts. It was those first couple of years where I was learning how to run hundreds. Then there was a period of seven years where I was top 10, seven consecutive times yeah. where basically all I did every year was run fast enough so I could get to run the next year. Right. Nice. Like that was my goal, whatever yeah. it took. Sometimes I got fourth place. Sometimes I got 10th place. I mean, one time I got 10th place and the 11th place guy was 24 seconds behind me. So, <laughs> nice. I mean, it was like, it was like my life. And then the third phase was the last two times that, that there was, I had a, I had a knee surgery in 2012 and then I came back in 2013 and ran number nine. And then once you get nine, they give you a freebie in for your 10th. What I love about it most of all uh, is the mystique. I, I feel as though the Western States 100 as a, as a huge sports fan, uh, America, let's uh, an American sports fan yeah. to me, the Western States course is like Fenway Park and Churchill Downs and Augusta National and the Rose Bowl yeah. all rolled into one. Yeah. And the fact that I got to be the person that I was on that course, that I got to, my children were brought up on that course. I mean, by the time I was running the race in 2010, when my parent, when my wife and two, three sons showed up at Michigan Bluff, they were, they went right into Carol Hewitt's house, which is the house right on the corner at Michigan Bluff. And oh, nice. they had brunch and they did, I mean, they were treated like royalty, like that community mm. brought you in. And every time I am on that course, every time since it's been now seven years since I last ran the race, but every year I'm there on the course, volunteering, pacing. I mean, this year I'm doing parking at Duncan Canyon, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I, I wanna, I'll, I'm like, tell me where you want to go and That's I'll do awesome. it. You know? and, then I'm, and then I'll announce for a couple of hours at the finish line to give John Medinger's voice a break, you know, before the, before the real, all the crowds come in. But I just love the mystique mm. of it. Something happens to people at that race. For me, the something that was really positive. It yeah. made me, you know, there are other people that it's, that it has a negative impact on. Maybe they can't handle the hype or that it's just too much for them or, or it's overwhelming the heat or the altitude or just the, the, the whole aura of it. I just love the aura of it. And when, when, when the calendar turns to June yeah. and I start, I mean, this is even true right now. I haven't run it in seven years. Calendar turns to June and I start thinking, Oh man, I'm going to Western States. You know, I can't wait to get out there. I can't wait to feel the electricity, to feel it in my bones. Yeah. And, uh, and that's something that's, that's, and, and I would imagine people feel that way when they walk onto the baseball field at Fenway park, or when mm. they walk onto the first tee at Augusta national, uh, or when they bring their horse into the paddock at Churchill Downs. To me, that's what the Western States course is. And, uh, and I, you know, I, and, and I'm, that's my story and I'm sticking. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think, I think when I ran marathons and I, I did Boston, um, in 2015. And, and so that was my focus, you know, you want to got to get mm-hmm. to Boston and all the people cheering and all the, you know, and so when I got to do States at the starting, you know, the starting line, I was feeling that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just that mm-hmm. excitement. And when you go into the, the, the towns and the, you know, and people were there and man, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. And I only got to do, I just, 
did it once and I wasn't even top 10, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, and the other, the other part of it, in addition to the mystique is the history. Yeah. You know, because and there's there's parallel history. There's the history, the gold mining history, mm -hmm. the you know, the, basically the history of Western expansion in the United States, but also just the history of the race. Yeah. The history of ultra running, the people who've run that race, the people who've had success there, the people who've crashed and burned and failed there. You know, there's there's something about it that just makes you feel like you're part of something greater than yourself. And and that's I mean, if you can feel that way about something in life, then it's really worth savoring. Yeah. Um, and, and that's I mean, people ask people ask me, why do you fly across the country every year just to volunteer at a race? And it's like, well, I, I do it because of what I see. You know, mm -hmm. I do it because of what I experience. I do it because it connects it, on the one hand, selfishly, it connects me with my younger self, yeah. but it also connects me to all these people that are having this experience, whether they're Jim Walmsley winning the race or that finisher finishing with less than one minute to go on the clock. Yeah. You know, there's a shared experience of that, that, that just cannot be equaled in my view yeah. in the sport of ultra running. And so to everybody out there listening if you're frustrated that it takes you seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years to get in, trust me, it's worth it. It's yeah. worth continuing to get your qualifiers. And when you get, when your number gets picked, and I'm sure this was your case, David, it's <laughs> worth whatever, whatever you got to max out your credit card to get the hotel <laughs> yeah. in, in Squaw Valley. And you got to bring your crew there and because it's a once in a lifetime experience, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's man. worth every penny. When my name was called, my neighbors heard me hollering. <laughs> <laughs> <It was, laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But it was a double fist pump, man. It was, it was Yeah. I, I, I agree, man. And, 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 you know, it's, it's not a, it's not an easy race. It's, you know, you, mm. you get out there and I, I train, man, I train hard and uh, those canyons dude. Um, yeah. They're tough. I don't, you know, and I'm, I'm from Louisiana. I'm used to, to humid heat and, and I, I struggle man coming out, coming out of devil's canyon oh man and i i tell everybody i said get your crew to make sure they go to the 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 session where they talk about you know what to expect because they warned like my wife was my crew and they warned her they said he's not gonna be looking good when you see him because uh, you know at a lot of races you, you cruising downhill and you be bopping into an aid station well this one you, you you're coming out of hell you know into an aid stations and so she got to see me looking rougher than normal so. I, I i love that you know often if, if your crew goes to robinson flat which is mile 30 up, still up in the high country, still kind of cool. Maybe you look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Then just 25 miles later at Michigan Bluff, you look like hell. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. and you still have 45 miles to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, that was always the place, by the way, that my wife and my sons would give me in my top 10 years, would give me a little cheat sheet. They would give me a little piece of paper. They'd stuff it in my, the pocket of my shorts. And I would run until that first to make the right turn and, and begin the road climb up until the left turn that goes down in the Volcano Canyon. And what that little sheet of paper had was literally a list of everybody who came through before me and how they looked. Ah. Uh, and uh, and I'll never forget in 2010, which is most people know it as the unbreakable year, which yeah. is the year that J.B. Benham made the movie that Jeff Rose you know, hunted down Anton and one and, and Killian and, and Hal were also in the race. 
I remember, and I finished, I want to say I finished eighth or ninth that year. So I was about an hour and a half behind those guys, but the, but the sheet of paper she gave me, uh, I, when I got out of there and it, and it had, it had, uh, Anton, Jeff, Killian, you're not going to catch those guys. <laughs> That's what she wrote, right? <laughs> then she said, then she said, how he looked like crap, but he always looks like crap. <laughs> right. And then, and then there were the other guys, you know, yeah, so-and-so yeah. spent 10 minutes and changed his shoes or so-and-so looked terrible or so-and-so spent, you know, five minutes talking to his wife or, you know, but it was so funny because I remember it. I even saved the piece of paper because it was like Anton, because Anton was first through yeah. there. Yeah. Killian was right with him and Jeff was Anton, Killian, Jeff, you're not going to catch those guys. <laughs> don't, don't even worry about it. Yeah. Top three taken. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. How did you, how did you, uh, what kind of training did you do to, to prepare you for the canyons? I, well, you know, in those, in those years, I lived in the Bay area. I yeah. went up every, I, I drove okay. up every weekend. Oh, nice. I nice. would at least one, at least one day of the weekend. And then we were lucky enough in the Bay area to have, Mount Diablo or Mount Tam or some big, big climbs. When I moved to Idaho, uh, so I didn't have the heat anymore. Yeah. I would, and, and I lived in Sun Valley ski resort where it took a while for the snow to melt. I did a lot of hill repeats. Gotcha. I knew the course, I knew the court the Western States course really well. I, I moved to Idaho in, in 2006. So I knew the, I knew what the climbs that I had to do were, which was like two and a half to three miles at, you know, 12 to 18% grade. So I kind of knew exactly what I had to do. And I knew I had to hammer the downhills as much as the uphills. Yeah. And so I just did a lot of hill repeats on the weekends and then, you know, kind of logged the miles, but I was, and I know not everybody's like this, but I was a big miles. I was a big miles guy. I mean, I would, my may, my may would always be over 400 miles before wow. Western States, which is big miles. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have no idea what it was for vertical cause we didn't have, you know, GPS <laughs> and stuff back then, but I'm sure it was a fair bit of vertical. Uh, I couldn't do, I mean, I'm, I'm in the midst of doing like a 300 mile may right now because I'm doing Bighorn, which is the week before Western States. But I think that's about as much as I could handle, but in my early mid thirties, you know, one month a year at 400 miles I could handle. So yeah. I was always a big miles guy. And then by the way, I would always kind of take a lot of time off after Western States. My, my year was pretty much divided into January through June, train hard, July through December, train easy. Yeah. How, how, how long would you take off? And, and what was, what, what did you consider easy? Just curious. Well, it would depend on, I mean, off was off would be relative because there were yeah. some years that I also ran Vermont, which was three weeks later. Or, yeah. Uh, 2009, I ran hard rock and Leadville uh, a couple weeks later, but I didn't train in between those. Right. Right. I didn't, I, I did Havelina when Havelina was first starting, you know, in October, I ran grand Teton hunt, but I would through the rest of the summer, probably 40, 50 miles a week, you know, yeah. at the most. Yeah. And then once, um, once kind of October set in, that would be real downtime. That would be, and I'm a, again, I'm a school guy. So that's yeah. the fall is always the most busy. People always ask me if I, you know, why have I, why have I never run UTMB? And part of it's, it's like right when school starts, right. Yeah. For me to, for me to check out and move, go to Chamonix for three weeks, you know, to, uh, when school starting wouldn't really work out. So, um, so that would, and that downtime might even be, you know, a week or two without running at all. 
Yeah. Um, but then, but then usually, you know, November 1st or Thanksgiving at the latest, you kind of start to get the bug again. And yeah, usually do kind of a big training block between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, uh, you know, when you went to have Christmas vacation, you know, put in a lot of miles then, and now you're back up and running for whatever, whatever awaits the next summer. Well, over, over the course of, 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 uh, you know, your, your running career, have, have, have you been, how you, how have you been injury wise? <laughs> well, uh, I, that would, that, that's, that, I, you know, when I first started, I got all the, I got all the usual injuries, yeah. plantar fasciitis, IT band, shin splints, whatever. Uh, I had the, my biggest, my first major injury was, uh, was a, um, meniscus tear in 2012, which meant I couldn't run Western States that year. Mm. But, uh, but, you know, I ran myself into the ground in, in April of 2015, I was living in Charlottesville, Virginia at the time. And I, uh, between uh, February and April, I was barely able to run five miles uh, because of my left hip because of uh, pinching uh, in my left hip. And I went to a doctor University of Virginia. And he basically told me I had end stage arthritis. I was bone to bone. Mm. And my only option was to get uh, hip replacement surgery and I'd never run again. And I was like, well, sorry, doc, but I'm, you know, I know you're a cocky little 35 year old surgeon and, <laughs> and you want my $10,000, but I'm not taking that for, I'm not taking that for an answer. And, and I, I did my research and I found a doctor in Columbia, South Carolina, who does hip resurfacing surgery. Huh. which is on healthy people. I was 47 at the time and hip resurfacing surgery essentially is the way to, to uh, put a, a metal on metal implant in your hip without, without severing your femoral head. Hmm. And therefore your, the, the integrity of your hip is maintained and you're able to continue running. So I got that surgery in 20 uh, September of 2015. Okay. It was very successful. I was actually able to run hard rock uh, 100 and, in uh, July of 2016. So about nine months after that surgery, wow. I, I knew, I knew after uh, when I got the 2015 surgery that eventually the other hip was going to go because the doctor pretty much told me that, but since I knew him, so it, that fast forward a little bit, I ran a couple other hundreds. I did a, I did a, for my 50th birthday, I ran a hundred miles across the Shenandoah national park. I did Bighorn in 2017. I started to feel my right hip going. And in April of 2018, I got my right hip done. Same, same exact procedure, same exact surgeon. Yeah. Recovery took a lot longer. It was more of my first recovery was about six months. My second recovery was about a year. Yeah. The net net result is it slowed me down. I'm much slower now. I mean, I'm I'm 53 years old, so I'd probably be slower anyway, but I think yeah. I'm a little exponentially slower because I can't, I can't stride. I can't overstride my hip joint. The integrity of my hip joint is fine, but all the muscles and tendons around, if I overstride, if I run too fast, if I slip in the snow or mud can be compromised. So gotcha. I have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I was, I was fortunate enough to run a sub 20 hour, hundred miler, uh, last year at the Yeti 100, which yeah. I was really surprised at flat hundred. So it's a lot of running, a lot of repetition. I've been, you know, I've run some couple of hundred Ks some 50 milers. So, so my injury, I think my, I mean, I think the worst of my injury life is behind me, but, yeah. but I really, but also the, the, my speed work days, my competitive days, they're, they're behind me also. Gotcha. So you're just, just, just running for the 
for the joy of it and enjoying to do it and see what you see what you still got left in you. Yeah, and <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting, actually. I'm, I'm glad you it's interesting to go to races. I think a lot of people who used to be in the front of the pack, once they stop being in the front of the pack, they leave the sport. Hmm. And I, and I, I haven't done that. And so a lot of people see me in the middle of the pack or sometimes even in the back of the pack. And, and they're like, what are you doing back here? <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, this is, this is how I run now. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I distinct, I remember being in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee in uh, December of 2019. It was my first experience ever of having to chase the cutoffs. Oh, I wow. got to the, I, it was a 50 miler and I got to the aid station, the 41 mile aid station. And I was eight mile. I was eight minutes off the cutoff. I mean, I had, I had, and, and I joked, you know, the younger me would check race websites and see what the course records are. The old, the, the now me <laughs> checks race websites and see what the cutoffs are. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. Oh, well, and, well, it sounds like you got a good attitude with it though. I mean, you know, Hey, this is where I am, I, but I can still get out here and enjoy it because you know, that can mess with your head if you're not, you know, careful, you know? Well, yeah. And, and I do it because I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, if you take the Washita 50, uh, which I ran back in April, I've always wanted to do that race. I it's in Arkansas. I love Stan and Chrissy. They've, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're old time Arkansas ultra runners. And, and wouldn't you know it, you know, the race is going along. It was, it was actually, I, I choose, I typically choose one race a year to run without a watch just to run completely on feel. And so I okay. chose, I usually choose a 50 K or a 50 mile. I chose this one. So, so, so wouldn't you know it, I get to, I'm, I'm at about mile 37 and Paul Schoenlob comes up. I don't know if you know Paul, but it'd be great to have him on the podcast. He's at about 250 ultra finishes. He lives in, in, uh, in Missouri, Western side of Missouri. He's got five or six hard rock finishes. He's a, he's the original OG. He's like 60, <laughs> 62 years old right now. Well, he comes up on me mile 37 and we start chatting and, and then, uh, and then like right around, there's a couple of little rollers and I start walking and he keeps running and I know he's like, I'm going to put a gap on AJW for the first time, <laughs> for the first time in my life, I'm going to have my name ahead of his in the results. So sure enough, show and low makes, makes his way and he gets out of sight. And I'm like, damn, I'm competing again. So I, I put my, I put my head down. I switched completely to gels. I stopped, you know, hanging out and gabbing in aid stations and I get the final two and a half miles of this thing are on pavement. And I get around the final turn and I look and I look down and I, wouldn't you know it? I was like, they're showing low. I, I saw his orange thing. I was like, I can get, and it was like, honestly, it was as if there was nobody else in the world. I was doing all the tricks. I was moving over so he wouldn't see me. I was trying, and I could, I could see him turn it. He knew I was back there too. You know, I could see him turning around. It was, it was just like two old dogs going out. I, you know? I, well, I, I never caught him. I think he beat me by like a minute or two. Yeah. We hugged finish line it was like and we both said we both said like in those for those 12 miles it felt like we were kids again you know running a race it was just so great so so there even though 
yes, the competitive days are behind me. You can still get that fire in the belly. Oh, and wouldn't you know it too, because of not having a watch, I ended up going under 11 hours too, which nice, is nice kind of a nice you. little bonus. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it great. Was only, it, was, it was only four hours slower than my time at the American River 50 12 years ago. <laughs> that's <laughs> Perspective, man. Perspective. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, so so you've been you've been doing all these races and um i mean you you've seen so i don't even know like look at this look at this (laughs) and 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 we could sit here and talk about all the race besides western states though like what what what's another race that you uh you even got leadville you did top 10 at leadville um how many times have you done leadville I was one and done at Leadville. Okay. Okay. Uh, it was, it was, um, it's almost, it's a little bit similar to UTMB. It's a tough time of year for a school person. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I can talk about, I mean, hard rock. I love, I've yeah. done it twice. I, I really want to have one more. I really want to have one more go around at hard rock. Yeah. Um, I've run uh Wasatch, uh, 100 a couple of times. Uh, I really love Angeles Crest. I mean, Angeles Crest, I did four times uh, early in my career. The course has changed a lot, but it's a classic when it's, when it's, when it, when it, when all the conditions are good, it's a, it's a classic point to point here on the beast coast. I mean, I love the Vermont 100. Mm-hmm. Uh, done that. For, I mean, that's the, that's the race I've won three times. Yeah. It works. It plays really well to my strengths because it's just relentlessly rolling. You don't have like these, you know, hour long climbs and things like that. And it's a runner's course. So I, I had great success at, at Vermont, the, the grindstone hundred miler down in, down in Virginia. I love. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to run all the, all the grand slam races, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the kind of classic mountain races. I've never, I've never run overseas. I'm just an American runner. Uh, you know, I love some of the classic 50 milers like Zane gray 50 in Arizona, uh, mountain masochist 50 in Virginia. Um, you know, there's not a lot that I feel like I still want to do. Yeah. What I what I love to do now is find these races like with cool race directors uh, that are doing cool stuff that are, you know, put, giving back to the sport by mm-hmm. doing trail work or uh, donating proceeds to the local uh, state park or regional forest or so, so forth. I'm going up to Pennsylvania next month to run the world's end hundred K that's one such race. It's very grassroots. Uh, they give all the proceeds back to the, the state park and the state forest. Those are the races I've kind of sought out right now because, you know, I feel like I've, I've, I've done a lot and, and all these races with lotteries with the exception of hard rock. I think a lot of the races with lotteries since I've done them already. And in many cases done them a lot, a lot of times, I don't really want to take up a space in the lottery. I don't feel bad doing that with hard rock. I know I've done it twice and that's two more times than a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, but I, but I feel like I have unfinished business there. Uh, and if I could get around that course one more time, I could probably put that to bed. Yeah. What, what, how, how do you, what makes you think you have unfinished business? Just curious. So I had a, I had a, a race there in 2016 where the wheels really fell off. I was okay. having, I was, I was really well-trained. Um, I think overtrained. Mm-hmm. I was experiencing a lot of work life stress uh, that impacted, I think the last month leading up to the race. And then I, 
I overcooked it uh, uh, over the first 50 miles. Yeah. And by about mile 70, I was really, I was really compromised uh, to the extent that by the time I got to mile 91, I had to take a three hour nap. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I had to kind of limp into the finish and, and I, that's just not the way, that's just not the way I want to end my career at hard rock. You know, I I was perfectly fine ending my career at Western States with a 30th place finish because it was respectful. It was under 20 hours. It was a good race. I felt good about it. I got my 10 day buckle, all that stuff. Yeah. I would, I would feel much better finishing my hard rock life with like a 35, 36 hour finishing before dark, the second day, something like that. I think that's perfectly within my, within my abilities. And Mm. uh, I just felt like I, of all the ultras I've ever run, that's the one that I 100% underachieved and it's going to stick in my craw until I can get out there one more time. Yeah. I, I think, uh, yeah, that, that's, I think it's good to have something like that. You know, if, if you don't, you know, just to, you know, I, I left something there. I got to go get it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's one of the things that uh, my wife and I have had a lot of different conversations and, and I told you, I wish I'd have started running uh, a lot earlier and, um, and, you know, I get out and, you know, I, I compete in some, I do, I do fairly well in a lot. And, and, and my, my wife said, she told me, she said, look, those guys, the, your Walmsleys and, and all that, that's all they do. They don't have to, to work. They, that's, they just train and they run. She said, I have so much more respect for guys like, like you who are working full time, got family, got kids and all this stuff and still get out there and, and, and do well. And so like, I'm talking to you and I mean, you could, you were out there crushing it, working full time, got family. Now, over the course of years, how did you, how'd you maintain? I mean, you're still married. Your wife didn't kick you out from running too much, man. So you did something right. Um, how did you maintain like a, a, a work family life balance, you know, and keep, keep it all together? Cause that's work. That's work too, man. That's, that's hard work. <laughs> well, well, first of all, a, a lot of the, a, a lot of the fast guys in my era. So the yeah. like 2004, five, six, seven, they were all, they were all working men. I, mean, I remember, I remember talking to, I mean, Graham Cooper who won Western States in 2006. Uh, Hal Kerner was a working man both times he run. Okay. Jurek was able to have kind of a career as a professional runner, but most of us, in that, in those years, also had jobs and, and mm-hmm. young families and so forth. The, the 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 boom in being able to become a full time professional runner, I think, is about is about ten years. You know, right around what we were talking about. Like Jeff Rose was able to become a professional runner. Anton was able to become a professional runner. So, I mean, we all were like that. And and in yeah. fact, since then, since then, so many of us have said there needs to be a separate category for guys with full time jobs. Like versus guy, you know, for, for, um, for, for me, I mean, and everybody was different, but I, you know, I, number, number one, probably number one, two, and three was having a supportive spouse, right? Yeah. She, she loved it. She loved going to the races. She loved the fact that I was competitive. The boys, I have three boys. They're all athletic. I mean, now they're 23, 21 and 18, but they all, they're all endurance athletes. They're all going to be fine in the rest of their lives being yeah. great boys, but they, you know, they were brought up, they were literally brought up on the Western States course. Right. I mean, yeah. think about that. That's so cool. And so, so that, that's number one, like they would kick me out the door to be like, dad, you know, it's going to be hard, a lot harder to get top 10. You're 40 years old now, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so there was that. 
then there's just the discipline that's needed to be successful. And, and I, and I will say that being successful breeds wanting to be more successful. So I would, I mean, I would, the alarm would go off at four 30 in the morning and I would look at it and be like, you know what? Hal's getting up right now. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, and that just was, was my mantra. So it, it wasn't always easy. Yeah. Uh, I've, you know, I've changed jobs a lot, a uh, fair bit in my life and, uh, some not, not, not always because of running, but sometimes because of running and, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a big part of who I am even now as I'm not, not as competitive, but, you know, I always felt like you've got so many hours in a day and mm-hmm. you just got to figure out what to do with them. I've always been a morning runner. Yeah, I, I, I stayed away from the group runs, you know, the group run. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love running with a group. If you could go off on a weekend and you, but if, you know, if a group is meeting at 5am, you never know who's going to be there, how long it's going to take. You know, my wife would count on, you know, you're going to leave at five and you're going to be back at noon. Right. And I had to be back at noon, you know, yeah. be, be, better. I'd be back at 1130. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that meant not doing group runs and not doing that kind of thing. Like having the discipline to be like, I'm going to get in my 28 miler all by myself and be home, you know, take a shower, do whatever, and then be there for the family. So, yeah. um, I think that's a big part of it. I, I've also always had people, I, as a school person, I've always had people at school who've kind of understood that I'm a better person when I'm running. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that also helps. Yeah. I, I, I can fully relate. I, I do the, it's funny you say that because my alarm was went off this morning at, at shortly after four and, and on Saturday mornings, it's I'm out the door at five, five 30 and I'm back around noon, you know, just, <laughs> yep. so yep. yeah. I, and then you gotta, you know, I, I tell people, you just have to have those bound, you know, boundaries. You got to figure out, you know, when you can do it. And, and, and your- sometimes, and sometimes that means like, you know, uh, an hour after we finish this recording, we're, I'm going to go to bed. You know, it's going to be, it might even still be light out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Been there, man. Last night it was yeah. an early one. Cause yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. And so how has, how has your, uh, the way, the way you've trained over the years, okay. You, you did that, you maintain, you know, work-life balance. And I heard you say you had to get like a 28 miler, um, do you still like when you train, do you train by miles? Do you do time? How, how has your training, you know, evolved over the years? So I've realized, I've I've realized that, that like muscle memory is a real thing Mm -hmm. and I actually don't need to do, uh, you know, I don't need to do a seven hour run on a weekend to stay in shape. I, I race, I race myself into shape. I, I, because I'm, because I'm slower, my recovery time is so much less. So, you know, I did a, I did a 50 miler on Saturday and I was out, I was out doing my normal seven mile run at my normal pace this morning. Yeah. So, uh, recovery time is much, much better. I also realize I don't need to, I don't need to do as much overall volume Mm -hmm. and I don't need to do as much overall vertical, but that's because I'm blessed with, you know, almost 30 years of, of running on my body. And my body just knows when it's time to shift into gear, when it's, when it's time to climb or when it's time to hammer this downhill, uh, it can do it with respect to miles or time. I have to, I, I, and I know this is a a debate and I'm, I'm a coach myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm old school. I'm a mileage guy. 
Yeah. You know, um, I do keep track of, of how many hours I run per week and how many hours my long runs are, but, but I'm a miles guy and, and that, that works for me. And, and as a coach, I will, I will work with athletes um, and ask them, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to have workouts prescribed by time or workouts prescribed by miles or a little bit of both? And um, so I think, I, I really think that's personal. Mm-hmm. I think it would depend a lot on the, on who you are, you know, because I've grown up as a miles person, I know what that means. And I'm not sitting there looking at my watch saying, damn, I did this six miler seven minutes faster yesterday, you know? And I think it's, if you're one of those people, you're going to have a lot more trouble being a slave to miles than you would be with time. Um, but I, but I think for, for, for aging athletes, for people who've been in this, I mean, there aren't a lot of people period who've been running ultra marathons pretty much without a break for 29 years. Right. Right. So there's, there's not a lot of, uh, of, of folk. You can't really do a focus group of people (laughs) who've run ultra ultras for 30 years consistently. So you really are kind of an experiment of one and, and some, what works for you might not work. Like what works for me might not work for Paul Schoenlaub. And maybe that's why he beat me at Washington. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's got two perfect hips though. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the screaming monkey 100, the screaming monkey 100 has become known as the preeminent race in North Louisiana. This event located at the monkey trails, mountain bike course near Shreveport has 11 miles of challenging hilly and technical single track. The race director has included another four point five miles of perimeter logging road gravel and pavement to make it a varied and interesting 15.5 mile loop runners can choose a distance between 10k all the way up to 100 miles now this race it's nestled between an abandoned prison a veteran cemetery and a national chimpanzee sanctuary how cool is that you can hear the chimps caterwaul during the race you can listen to the calming tones of the bells chime at the cemetery and run through the shadows of an abandoned guard tower totally awesome the screaming monkey 100 can be found on ultrasignup.com and listeners of this show who use the code listen to the code run the riot 123 all one word run the riot 123 will enjoy the only discount available for this race that's a 10 percent discount off their entry back to the show no no that that's that that's that's cool so over well so you, you do, you're training a little different now what about like back when you started, how did you do nutrition then? And, and how has that evolved and how do you coach your guys to do nutrition? Then? Oh, that's, that is number one thing that's changed. And there's so much more science behind. I mean, I, it was very much like the old wives tales, the, you know, what works drinking insure and, you know, sandwich, whatever, what everyone had their magic potion. And, yeah. and I'm a little old school, a little bit on that where I like my solid food in a hundred miler until I can't take it anymore more. And, but you know, the science around 240 to 260 calories an hour and, you know, sodium 600 to 800 uh, milligrams of sodium per liter of water. And all I mean, there, there's these formulas that are very, very backed with based on science. And it's just a matter of how you get your calories, what you can take, what you can stomach. I mean, I love that. I wish I'd known that 
in 2005. I, you know, come to think of it, I probably would have beaten Jurek if uh, <laughs> if I had known that in 2005. Nice, <laughs> but I didn't, so I did. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I but I but I do think, in terms of coaching athletes, in terms of working with athletes, there are now things that work. It yeah. doesn't mean they work for everybody. It doesn't yeah. mean they might have to tweak. You know what what whether you want sweet or savory, whether yeah. you want solid food or gels, what, how much, how many calories you get from liquid, all of those kind. I mean, all of those are very, very real concerns, no doubt about it. But in terms of what you need to keep going based on, you know, how much you weigh and how much you sweat and all of those things, it's so nice now to know that there's like science backing that up versus, you know, in 2005, I was like, well, I did this last week and it worked. So let's do it again this week. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's 40 degrees warmer. Or right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. just, I'm yeah. just going to keep pumping this salt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Swell up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Yeah. And it, 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 it is pretty, it is neat that you can, you know, just plug, plug stuff into a formula and, and data, you know, like you said, just Here's, here's right. So I would, I would, I would say just what I call the Holy Trinity of ultra running, which is the things that'll bring you down, which Mm -hmm. are stomach issues, blisters, or get your quads getting trashed. You know, there's so much science now around nutrition that you, you should be able to eliminate that. And then it's only down to blisters or you just call it foot problems or trashed quads. And frankly, you can, you can train, you can train yourself to be adapted for trashed quads and you can, you know, troubleshoot with respect to socks and foot care and everything mm-hmm. else. You know, you, someone like you who does 200 milers, I mean, the foot, feet, foot issues are, are, an, are an inevitable, you know, occupational hazard. It's yeah. how you manage those foot issues. It's how early you catch them how good you are with tape or socks or shoe changes or those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. But I think if there's one thing that's changed the most in the last 10 years in ultra running is those three variables that used to be so mysterious, right? I was going great until my stomach went South. I was, I never get blisters and all of a sudden I got 10 or I don't know what happened. My quads were just trashed at mile 30. Like those really aren't excuses anymore because of what we, what we know and how, and how much, how many more people are in the sport. And so I think that's good. I think ultimately that's good for the sport. Of course, it does allow you to say when someone does screw it up, you're like, well, you're a dummy. You, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should you should know that you, you, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have eaten that piece of pizza. And then, you know. <laughs> did you did you train with that pizza? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's and so my, my issue when I when I uh, DNF Moab 240, it was stomach issues. And and but I. I own that thing because I I trained a little bit with, it was what they provided on the course and I trained with it a little bit, but not in the heat. And Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, it, it, well, and those are, and well, and those are the variables too. It could be like, Oh yeah, yeah, it really does work for me to have grilled cheese sandwiches. It really does work for me to use, to use goo roctane or whatever. But if the conditions are different, even if you're, if you're comparing like, you know, Bayou humid heat to Utah desert heat, you know, it's not necessarily apples to apples. So you're going to have to, you know, think, think through that. Now, the other thing too, with something like a a big race like Moab, 
uh, not to make excuses for yourself because it's still your fault. No, it was my fault, 100. Right? I won't but do that I'm, crap again. <laughs> right, right. You won't do that again. But what I'm saying is, once it goes, once it goes bad, if it goes bad enough, you're not going to dig out of that hole. Right, right. The, but you, but you are going to let it fuel your fire. You know, the next time you're at that race. Yeah. And and oh, yeah. that's really. I mean, that's really what I love about the sport is we we will always have that second chance. Yeah, you'll always you you know I I would imagine within a week or so of you know that DNF, your mind was thinking, what am I going to do to get back there and make this right? Oh, the next morning I was yeah that, yeah like I told you I was texting Cliff. We, okay, I'm coming back. I'm I'm redeeming. I'm I'm going to fix this. You know, we're gonna. Uh, I know I know what the problem is, and yeah. So yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's from the top to the bottom of the sport. Just a couple of examples. I mean, I spent time with Jim Walmsley when he was, when he, when he dropped at the river crossing in mile 78 Western States in 2017. Mm. And it was clear he had, he overcooked himself. He was yeah. done, but immediately at that point, he was preparing for what it would take yeah. to come back in 2018 and I make it right that. on the other side of the, coin scotty mills who has 20 finishes at western states is a, a a race director down in san diego retired air force incredible guy probably has 300 ultra finishes uh he he was he's, he's in his late 60s he's he has one of those those leaning problems okay right that you that you see sometimes i'm sure you've seen him in the 200s oh, yeah. right and uh and he's been able to finish some races and not finish others well, when he was sitting on 19, he had 19 Western States finishes. And his wife, Jean, said to him, you get one more chance. Wow. Because she didn't like seeing him coming in. He, was a, he would be a mess coming in. And he would finish, you know, within an hour of the cutoff or whatever. But, and, would, and gosh darn it, he set about, just like you did the day after Moab, just like Walmsley did the day after dropping at the river, Scotty Mill said, I'm going to fix this leaning thing. Yeah. And once you know it, he gets back there in 2019, he finishes in like 26 and a half hours, no lean at all. You know, he spent time in the weight room. He thought about nutrition. He did, he did all the research and what makes you lean and what the problems are. And he solved it and he licked it and he got it done. And that's what this sport gives I us. I love you know? that. I love and that. And it's just like, I mean, and, and it's the same thing if you get fired from a job or the same thing if you get divorced from a spouse or the same thing if you, any sort of terrible, nasty thing that happens in your life. If you can just, you know, it's going to be terrible in the moment. Yeah. Just like it's going to be terrible cutting that wristband off and taking the ride back, you know, to your car. But you, you've, got to focus you've got to at you know at that at some point turn and say i'm going to get rid of these stomach issues i'm going to get rid of this lean i'm going to get rid of this and i'm going to come back stronger the next year and and thank god we have the sport to give us that yeah i and like you you alluded to it i mean i've learned so many life lessons in in this sport and it's made me a better better man better husband better father all of that just because uh, I'm more resilient and I've learned, I've learned those lessons and they, they, they work off of each other. You know, it kind of reveals who you really are when you get, when times get tough and you, I learned a lot about myself, man, <laughs> you know, from this sport. And they, and, and then they give you, they give you the skills perhaps to navigate uh, other life challenges that have nothing to do with running. Yeah. Yeah. 
problem solving. And that's one of the things I, you know, even, uh, you know, Courtney DeWalter, when you watch her at races and she, she loves the problem solving part of it and same thing, you know, try, it's not always easy, you know, and that, it's kind of uh, fulfilling when not fulfilling, I don't want to say that, but it's, I can, un, when you see some of the elites suffering and mm-hmm. still push through and, and we're, you know, cause some of them make it look so easy a lot of times, but when you see that, Hey, they go through it too and they learn and they grow and they, they, fixed it. So, mm-hmm. um, so I was looking at your ultra sign up. Have, have you had any, uh, any DNFs? No. Okay. Rick for really like serious. Okay. That's nope. I have, I've never, I've never DNF'd in an ultra. I didn't see any. And, and, and that's man, kudos, man. That's, that's awesome. That's a, that's huge considering the pages of your ultra sign up list here. That's now, now, now I, I, I should, I should add, I, uh, I've, I've been not, not as much lately, but in, in my younger, more brash years, um, I was critical of people for DNFing, not all the time, gotcha. but pe- but, but elite runners who DNFed, uh, when they knew they weren't going to win. Gotcha. And, um, and in, uh, before I started writing for I run far, I had my own blog, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009. And for, for a long time, I've been a, one of the, one of the voters for ultra runner of the year for ultra running magazine. And I, I, I've long been critical of the fact that the, those rankings, when, when we, when the voters receive the ballots and we get, we get pages and pages and pages of results from runners they don't, well, <laughs> until I opened my big mouth, they didn't, they didn't include DNFs in the runner's, in the runner's body of work. So if you read the, if you read through it, you would just see, you know, Tim Tollefson got four, won four races or according to Walter won six races or whatever. And that was great, but you yeah. wouldn't necessarily see that, you know, so-and-so dropped out of Western States or so-and-so dropped out of, and I always thought that it should count against them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I didn't, I, I wasn't going to make it up. Like give, you know, give, give people a black mark or something. Right. But I was, but I was so outspoken about it on my blog that I got a lot of grief, like, Oh, AJW, just cause you've never DNF doesn't mean <laughs> other people, but wouldn't you know it? John Medinger, who still organizes the, of the voting said, well, Andy, I got a great idea. How about every year you just keep track of everybody's DNFs and then you can, <laughs> and then you can add them, you can add them to the, so, so that's been my job. That's been my job for the last decade. I didn't know that. Track, that's what yeah, is, to keep, is to keep track of the high profile DNFs. And so I, I still don't know. I still don't know how the voters include them. Right. But, right. But anyway, now it's, a, now it's a thing, but that's funny. No, I didn't even know. I wasn't poking at you, man. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't fishing. I didn't know. I didn't know. Right. Cause, cause I mean, I mean, I would, I would much rather see some guy get a 32nd place finish because he, the wheels fell off and he walked it in. Then he just, then he just dropped out, but but that's just me. Yeah. 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 I understand. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. That's cool. Didn't know there was a story behind there, man. That's, that's, that's but yeah, awesome. I mean, I, I, I'm, sh- I know there are people out there who remember that me being okay. so in that are just waiting. 
They are waiting for my first DNA, but, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, you keep, Hey, that's fuel for the fire, right? There. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, when you're feeling really, that's, crazy, that's one you... thing that's going to get me out of the chair. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, don't let this be the one. AJ, don't right, I'm going to be the one. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, so, so thinking through how the, how the, uh, just there've been a lot of changes, uh, you know, in the sport. I mean, it's growing. How do you, you know, you've, and you've seen a lot and, and it's, I mean, I love that it's growing. I love that more people are watching. Um, I love that you, you know, you're able to watch video of some of the races and, you know, uh, um, I love what, what, uh, Jamil did for a Coca Dona 250. That was amazing. I think productivity at, and people's work went down for quite oh, a yeah. bit because they were keeping track of it. But when I saw drones and commentary and I was like, this is, this is awesome, you know? Um, but uh, I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about some of the, you know, that some, there's more commercial things going on with the recent acquisitions, you know, some, some of the bigger companies are, are, are buying up uh, some of the races and all, I know, how do how do you feel about it? What I worry about, is the the ethos of American trail running is is about the grassroots and mm-hmm. is about uh, you know non for profit organizations and is about giving back to the community. Yeah. Um, yes, there's profit to be made, and and people have been making profit in the sport for a long time, whether it's with shoes or packs or nutrition products and so forth. But but less so with actual events. You know, yeah. some of the best events including Western states, right? They're nonprofit. They give their money back to medical research, to trail maintenance, to uh, any number of things. Jamil gives money every year to, you know, the local parks and, um, you know, in the regional parks and in, in, in the Phoenix area. I love, I'm hundred percent with you. Not, not only the Coca-Dona coverage, but, you know, even going back to the Black Canyon coverage in February. I mean, yeah. that was just outstanding. So I think Jamil is the, the undisputed leader right now in, in the United States race coverage. And I would love to see somebody, that's something that somebody could invest a lot of money in, provide support for him and his team. And, yeah. and I, I would 100% applaud that. What I what I what I worry about is people people losing touch or contact with the good old finish a race, sit around the fire, Mm -hmm. have a couple of beers, swap stories about the event and and move on. And and I don't know if the Ironman UTMB thing is going to mean that. I don't know if any of these other, you know, high profile mergers and acquisitions might do that. But I, for one, since I grew up in the old school and the trail culture that that I love, I don't want that to I don't want that to um, go away. Yeah, I, I, I almost think of it again to look at another sport. I almost think of it as the beauty, the, the, the purity and the beauty of minor league baseball. Right. When you go to a minor league baseball game where the teams have funny names and they do goofy stuff in between innings and, you know, tickets are cheap and these guys are just trying to make it to the majors. There's something so wholesome and fun and just American about that. And whatever happens, I want to make sure that that is sustained and maintained. And, and I will hope from my little bully pulpit to do my part of that. Yeah. This is not to say 
there's not room for people to make a living on the sport. I love the fact that they're professional athletes. Yeah. That, that's all they have to do is run. I love the fact that there's people that all they have to do is race direct. I love the fact that there's people that all they have to do is design shoes or design clothes or I think that that's fantastic, but it, if, as long as it's serving the, the, the true mission and values of, of the sport, I'm okay with it. If I start to see that, if I start to see that deteriorate, I'm going to be as curmudgeonly as the next guy. And, (laughs) (laughs) and people are either going to listen to me or they're going to tell me to shut the hell up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I've, I'm kind of saying I hadn't formed like a a hard opinion on anything. It's kind of a wait and see thing, you know, to see what happens. And, uh, but like you, I still like, uh, I was supposed to be out at flower moon, but I couldn't get out there, but I love races like, you know, that, highlighting state parks around here in Oklahoma that the, the outlaw series is doing with, uh, uh, mm-hmm. with those guys. And then, you know, the ones in Arkansas, I just, you know, you, we, we can su- continue to support those races, you know, and um, no matter what happens with some of the big boys, you know? So. Well, and I, and I think that that, I think that is there's still, there's room for the big boys. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, what I worry about, if, if there is some sort of world series of ultras, if you will, that it crowds out the little guy. That's, that's yeah. kind of where I use the minor league baseball, right? Minor yeah. league baseball still has to exist because yeah. Yeah. these small towns, they want to have their sports to go to. And so, so I just want it to still exist. And yeah. I, and I, and, and I think it will. And you mentioned the flower moon guys, and there's people like that all over the country, race direct, non, non-for-profit or even slight for-profit race directors and, yeah. who are just doing it because of their love of the sport, but they're also doing it because they want to, you know, they want more trails to run on. They want yeah. more uh, people go going to the woods. They want people being healthy. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's, that's huge for, for us as a country, not to mention the fact that at a time that we're dealing with a lot of divisiveness, mm-hmm. you know, nothing brings people together more than shared suffering. Yeah. And, uh, right. And, yeah. and Lord knows there's a lot of that happening after mile 80 of a hundred miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've made some bonds for life on the trail, man. Yeah, that's, <laughs> right. that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, another cool thing too, which you said, and I just thought of that, you know, with, with the, the bigger races, if they, you know, b- become, um, I guess, these big series, all the elites will flood is that the fear is that some of the elites will flood to some of those, but what I like that, you show up at any old race and you could have just about anybody out there, even some, some of their, you know, top guys can show up at whatever race, you know, just, just to be there, you know, and that's, that's a cool thing, you know, that you, I don't know if, and if they only go for the the big races or, you know, uh, I don't know, it's, it just changes. Well, and I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think that, I think that, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of elite ultra runners and a lot of them love the same things we love about yeah, the sport, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't see that changing just Good. because, yeah. um, just because someone says there's a series and this is what you have to do to get into it. I mean, I, I think, uh, I think, I think it's, I think the American ultra running culture is going to be a tough nut to crack uh, because yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a group of people that really, uh, really care about all aspects of the sport. 
Yeah. Tough nut to crack because we're a bunch of tough nuts. Because <laughs> we're a bunch of tough nuts. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Well, well, man, uh, I, I appreciate you taking time. I always, and I feel funny asking you this, but I always like to ask everybody because people, people like to know. And, and when I don't ask a guest, people say, why didn't you ask them? I like to ask about what people are using gear wise and people like to hear it. People like to know what you're using, what, what shoes you're wearing on your feet, what watch you're wearing, you know, what, what, what do you work? What works for you right now for nutrition? So what, what are you, what, are, what what's AJW doing Excellent. right now when he's out running a 50 miler? Well, I, I should, I should start by saying I, I, with the exception of apparel, mm-hmm. I buy all my own stuff. Okay. That's you know, good. I, yep. I'm uh, I, I, there was a time back in the day where I was sponsored with shoes and, with nutrition and with things like that. It's not the case anymore. I, I have sponsorship with Patagonia for apparel and uh, Drymax socks. And I love Drymax socks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will get that, that plug in. I, uh, they are excellent socks. I, yeah. I, I switch, I switch back, you know, I've got two titanium hips, so I'm a mm-hmm. Hoka guy. Okay. I use, I use Clifton uh, shoes on the road and I use uh, speed goat, on the trail. Okay. Uh, I also, when I, when conditions are particularly muddy or dicey, I like uh, the Topo ultra venture. Okay. Uh, and I haven't had a chance to try the ultra venture two, which just came out, but I, I love the Topo ultra venture. So that's kind of my quiver of shoes, the Clifton, the speed goat and the Topo ultra venture, the, the, um, the oh, dry max socks. I'm a handheld, probably won't come as a surprise to anybody. I'm a handheld guy. I noticed that. I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not a big pack person. I do. I do use Nathan packs when I have to, usually that's when I'm in a race that I'm using poles, but if it's a race, I don't need to use poles for, I'm not using a pack. Um, and, uh, and you know what? Nutrition I'm uh, hot dogs and quesadillas <laughs> and peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, yeah. They had a particularly good burger at the mile 35 aid station at flower moon. I, I am a really solid food guy um, for, for drinks. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned the, uh, the science, you know, scratch is amazing. I will say that, uh, and I, and it was actually my son who's a professional bicycle racer, road cyclist who turned me on to scratch because of the, the sodium and potassium and the caloric. So I love scratch for a sports drink. And then if I had to be partial to, uh, nutrition, goo, roctane gels and honey stinger chews. I mean, those things are just, they melt in your mouth. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, I am like you in the South, there's no more bang for your buck in nutrition than little Debbie's. <laughs> so if little diabetes, if there's a little Debbie's person listening to the podcast <laughs> and they're interested in sending a couple of cases of oatmeal cream pies and cosmic brownies down here at Arkansas, 
I'm your guy. <laughs> That's great. You know, I used to eat those things as a kid until I read what was in them, but I never thought about the cal- the caloric intake, uh, you know, during a race. So, hmm. dude, you cannot get more calories for $1.99 than a box of oatmeal cream pies. For the price of a gel, you can get 12 oatmeal cream pies. And those Think things are it. good, man. They are really good. Yeah, put them warm them in your pocket before. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. I do it this weekend, man. <laughs> uh, uh, what, what do you do for a GPS watch, man? Oh, I, I use a Sunto. Uh, I, I, I still have my, I still have a Sunto. Um, what is it? The Ambit uh, 3 Peak or the? Ambit 3 Peak. Yep. 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 Ambit 3. Yeah, those Love things it. are Love, tanks, I mean, man. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I have to, in a hundred, I have to charge it mid-race. I mean, it doesn't have the battery life of some of the newer watches, yeah, but yeah. oh man, it's, it's just a great watch and. Uh, and I just love it. And, you know, and it syncs with everything with training peaks with Sunta, with, with Strava and all that. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's a fantastic watch. Yeah. That was my first Sunto and I beat the snot out of it and it's still, yeah. still trucking. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, well, AJW, man, I, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, enjoyed visiting with you and, and uh, getting to know you and, uh, you know, with you being close now, man, I, I I'm sure I'm going to see you on the trails, uh, you know, quite a bit. Oh yeah. I mean, I, this is, this is a great, there's, there's races all over the place. I, I mean, I, I think, I think since moving here, I've raced in more different States than, than I ever did before. So it's fantastic. I'm sure I'll see you out there. Yeah. yeah you, I mean, you 200 mile guys are a little bit, I mean, you got a, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think they have a separate, they have a separate parking area for you. <laughs> well, well, Hey, well, speaking of, are you ever going to do, you're going to try one of those, man? Are you going to jump in or what? Oh my gosh. I, I think Candace has sent me like promo promotional materials, like four years in a row. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I, eventually I'm going to have to. Okay. Right? All right. I mean, all right. I like eventually it. I'm going to have to. I, I, I think just given my, given my, um, propensity and you know, my Western States career and all that, I think, I think my first one would have to be Tahoe. Oh, it's beautiful. So, yeah. 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 I, th- I think, I think you, it, you did. So I don't know. Strengths. I don't know when, I don't know when it's okay. going to be, but, uh, and I have to admit, I mean, I used to live in Arizona and I was, I was glued to the Coca-Dona coverage. So, I mean, I think those guys bit off more than they could chew. I mean, Jamil made it. I mean, when they were changing, when they were extending the cutoff times during the race, you yeah. knew that thing was a bear. And, and I mean, and I know that trail up to Crown King and all of that, like that first hundred miles. Oh, my gosh. And then they had one hundred and fifty more. Oof. Yeah, that, that heat, heat and exposure like that. Yeah. Man, and, 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 it, and it was, and it was early May that nobody had been heat training very much. I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, even yeah. if you, even if you live in Arizona, you hadn't been heat training that much. So yeah, it's uh but yeah, I, I eventually I'll have to, you know, make the, make the plunge into one of those 200 mile hikes. Headline next Monday morning, AJW says he's doing the Tahoe 200. <laughs> oh man. Well, man, I, I, but I, I appreciate you. I appreciate all that you've done with the sport. Uh, I love, love everything you write for. I run for, uh, and, and, you know, it's okay to be opinionated, man. Keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate it. You know, I'm going on 10 years. This October will be my 10th anniversary of writing that column on, on Fridays for I run far. And I, I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a great place to, I'm glad people still read the written word in this day of podcasts and videos, which I love, but it's nice to be able to sit down at the, at the, uh, 
you know, computer every week and, and write something. So I'm glad people still read it. Yeah, I still uh, I need to get back to typing out my race reports and stuff like that, because there's something about going back and reading them. And I don't want to watch myself later on. I'll right. go back and read exactly. it. I look at my yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, AJW, man, you take care and uh, I'll talk to you again soon, brother. All right. Thanks a lot. All right.